each day during the week, one of our campuses is open during the lunch hour to come and to pray together. And so our day uh, at Mill Creek is on Tuesdays. Last Tuesday, of course, it was like during a snowstorm. So there was a handful of, his, uh, uh, of us in here who were able to make it to pray together. But this Tuesday, we'll be back and invite you again. If you can come for 10 minutes or if you can come for the, for the whole hour, we would love to have you here with us. Um, and whether that's just a time for you, if you just need private time to pray on your own, or if you're willing to circle up and pray with others, um, encourage you to be a part of that. If you can't make it on Tuesday, but Monday uh, or Thursday or Friday work, Monday the South Street campus is open, Thursday Kesslinger, and Friday our North Aurora campus. So love to have you at any of those. And then I also wanted to just um, share a bit more about Alpha coming up here at the end of the month. We're going to launch this on January 27th. Um, as you know, many of you know that we've been uh, doing this here at the Mill Creek campus the last couple of years, but now we have extended the invitation across all four of our campuses. We already have a number of people who've signed up and are excited for this, and so we are excited for it. And if you're not familiar with Alpha, Alpha is a place to come with your um, questions about life and faith and what do we believe about Jesus and why. Um, some of you, are, are we experience those in our Christian walk. We, we deal with those questions. And then others of you may have friends and neighbors and family members who are processing those very same questions and wondering if there's a spot to come and table those in a um, accepting and non-judgmental kind of environment. That's exactly what Alpha intends to do. And so not only do I want to extend the invitation to all of you to be a part of Alpha or to invite somebody to Alpha, but we're also looking for a, a few people to serve in Alpha. Um, whether that's a part of our prayer team, we have a food team, we do a meal, uh, breakfast as a part of Alpha. By the way, it's on Saturday mornings from 9.30 to 11.30. So it's uh, uh, each Saturday for, for a few weeks. And then um, it's an 11-week study altogether. And, and we also need some table leaders. And so and some of you are, are really uniquely gifted at this, and I would love to have you participate. Because a table leader, you're not responsible to answer everybody's questions. In fact, you're kind of um, encouraged not to take that approach. The, the role of the table leader is to foster the conversation. We, we really lean into trusting the Holy Spirit and, and the curriculum that we create in terms of that, but you're really just allowing people to table their questions. And then if they ask you, well, what do you believe about this? then there's opportunity to, to respond to that. And so if that sounds like something that you would be interested in, or you just have questions about Alpha, I want to introduce you real quick. Susie, would you mind standing up? This is Susie Skrypak. She is our point leader for all things Alpha and our expert in it. And she is excited for this. But if you would like to serve or if you have questions about participating, find Susie. She would love to chat with you or I can uh, connect you with her as well. So this is coming up in January. We have a leader meeting on January 20th as well. So if you're thinking about that, um, we, we would love to chat with you. Let me pray for us and then we'll continue to worship together. Gracious Father, we do just thank you for this time to gather as community. We thank you um, that you meet, meet us in this space, that your Holy Spirit is present with us. So as we continue in worship, Lord, um, speak and move. That we, that we might receive from you. It's your name we pray. Amen.
Daniel and I were laughing at the first service, like right after we sing, In the Power of Christ I Stand. Please be seated. Uh, it's counterintuitive a little bit. Um, it's good to be with all of you uh, this morning. We're uh, continuing in our series um, entitled Praying with Paul. And, uh, and if you have grown up in the church or kind of been in sort of churchy environments, you may have heard somebody, I've certainly used the phrase, say somebody, something like the power of prayer, like that's the power of prayer. And oftentimes I think what we mean when we say that, or when I oftentimes say it, is in response to a situation or circumstances where the things that I've been asking for and the results that occurred are aligned. And I'm like, oh, that's the power of prayer. But is that the a power of prayer? Is that the objective of, of prayer? Because last week as we began this series, we were talking about this, that the, the uh, purpose of prayer is not that we would get something, but rather that we would know someone. That that's what the power of prayer affords to us. The opportunity, relational time spent with our Heavenly Father. I remember as a child, one of my I think first experiences of, of genuinely bringing something to God and, and, and seeing God move and work, and it's, gonna, it's a very childlike thing, but I had lost a, a baseball. And if my memory serves, uh, it was my older brother's baseball. So there was pending consequences that were coming as a result of this. I remember being at the park, and I, I remember I think my brother had a game or something like that. I could not find the baseball anywhere. So in my little childlike mind, I just paused and I prayed. I closed my eyes. I was overplaying by kind of this wooded area while his game was going on. Then I opened my eyes and, and 10 feet in front of me was my baseball. I don't know if it was there all along. Like I just, I just walked right past it. I don't know if while I was praying, God like supernaturally manifested a baseball right in front of me. I have no idea any of that. But I do remember, and again, in this sort of childlike experience of this, like that my takeaway from that wasn't so much so like, look how powerful God is that he could place this baseball right in front of me. But my, my reaction was like, he must really love me. Like he must, to think about all the things he's got on his plate right now, all that's happening in the world, all the millions and billions of people who are bringing any number of things. Again, I, I'm, I don't know that all that was going on in my mind at the time. But to think about it and to recognize that he heard a child who was concerned what his brother was going to do to him <laughs> and said, I, I'm going to meet you in that. I'm going I'm I'm to meet you. And what I gained ultimately was more of him. As we work in this series, uh, and uh, as I mentioned earlier, called Praying with Paul, we recognize that, that in addition to just kind of working through these prayers together, we really want as a church want to have an intentional focus on prayer together. That we just want to begin 2024 in, in a posture of prayer, which is, is why we're offering these, these lunch hour prayer times together. And again, love for, to have you to be a part of that. But throughout the month, we're going we're gonna to look at different times where the Apostle Paul prays for the church, right, a group of people that he has, in many ways, 
been a part of, of the initiation, the, the, the launch of the church in these cities. He's brought the gospel there. He's proclaimed it. Um, he's been a part of discipling and raising up leaders in these churches. And so you'll catch as we begin to work through these together, you're going to catch this very uh, pastoral heart for in these prayers, but also just a very personal, like he is invested in this group of people. And in, in reading these prayers, I think one of the things that we gain in them is we capture the heart of Paul, Paul's desire for us as followers of, of Jesus. And so as I was preparing for this series and reading through these prayers together, I, I mentioned last week, there's a couple things that just sort of were initial observations to me. One is that, as I read them, I, I found it to be very instructive. And what I mean by that is that um, I, I, I think Paul's prayers reflect a greater desire than what my prayers often do. And I don't, I don't say that like I'm praying wrongly or that you're praying wrongly, or, or I didn't receive it negatively at all. And in fact, I, I just sort of recognize, I think oftentimes Paul's prayers seem to be asking for something that's maybe almost behind the thing that I'm asking for, like something greater, if that makes any sense. And then secondly, I just found it to be inspiring and encouraging. I, I recognized in these prayers that, that we are a part of this, that these, I, and as we work through these together, I want us to feel prayed for in these words. Paul's praying for followers of Jesus, that they would live this, the truth of the gospel out, and we are downstream of this. And so, yes, there's a specific context and a, a specific group of people that Paul's praying for us, but I want us to hear that and to receive that as well. So last week, if you were here, we began in Ephesians chapter 1, where Paul, at the outset of his prayer, he prays that, that the church would have a spirit of wisdom and revelation that we would know God better. It's almost kind of like this, this umbrella that encompasses everything that Paul's going to pray for. What, what more could he ask for the church that, that we would know more of, of him? And then he, he starts to kind of dig into that a little bit, and he talks about these three critical truths that at the very core of who we are, we would understand these critical things about who we are in Christ. He says that the eyes of our heart would be enlightened. And he prays for these truths. He prays that we would understand or grasp the hope of our calling in him, meaning this, this um, ultimate outcome, this eternity with him, that we would understand that that is a, a secured and real thing for us. He prays that we would understand or grasp the wealth of his glorious inheritance. Our identity in Christ, who we are in him and all that that means. And then thirdly, he prays that we would understand the immeasurable greatness of his power towards us who believe. And what's interesting about that third um, desire, that third truth that he wants us to grasp, is that, that when Paul prays this for us in Ephesians 1, he doesn't get specific about what this immeasurably great power is ultimately going to accomplish in our lives. He gives us direction. He said it's, it's, it's towards us, this immeasurably great power towards us. And then he gives us scope or degree in this. Meaning that he, in verse 20 of chapter 1, 
He says, he exercised this power in Christ by raising him from the dead and seating him at his right hand in the heavens. So he he's, he's, wants us to understand the, the degree, the scale of God's power that is at work towards us. And now as we start to get into chapter three, now Paul's gonna begin to, to get more specific about the outcomes or the results of that power working in our lives. And that's what I want us to look at today. By the way, uh, there's a book written by D.A. Carson called Praying with Paul, same, same title that we're using in this sermon series. And it was very um, formative in my preparation for this sermon. So instead of citing every time there's an idea or a reference that I got from Carson, I'm just going to cite the whole sermon as, uh, as, as part of that. And I encourage you to pick up that book. It's, it's worth the read. So let's go to Ephesians chapter 3. We're going to listen to Paul's prayer. And again, as I read this, I I want you to hear this as being prayed for you. I I want you to receive this. So this is Ephesians chapter 3, beginning in verse 14. Paul writes this. He says, For this reason, I kneel before the Father, from whom every family in in heaven and on earth is named. I pray that he may grant you according to the riches of his glory, to be strengthened with power in your inner being through his spirit so that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith. And I pray that you being rooted and firmly established in love may be able to comprehend with all the saints what is the length and width, height and depth of God's love and to know Christ's love that surpasses knowledge so that you may be filled with all the fullness of of God. I want us to, I want to spend a few minutes here together this morning just looking at these two primary categories, these two aspects of, of, Paul's, or of, of, of uh, Paul's prayer for God's power in our lives and, and how he orients those to us as followers of Jesus. And the first, the first prayer of power here is the, the power to dwell in our hearts. It's the power to dwell in our hearts. Again, in verse 16, he says this, I pray that he may grant you, according to the riches of his glory, to be strengthened with power in your inner being through his spirit, that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith. When I was a a teenager, the summer between my eighth grade year and my freshman year of high school, my parents moved. I was away on a short-term mission trip, spent most of my summer um, uh, on an island in Bermuda. I know that doesn't sound like a mission trip, but I assure you I was suffering for the Lord. And, um, And I got back and my after my parents had moved. So when I left, I was living in one house. When I came back, I was living in another house and and they were drastically different. My parents moved from a small farm town in Eaton, Ohio into uh, the metropolis of Dayton, Ohio. And we moved from, it wasn't like an updated perfect house, but it was kind of a older historic home and I loved it. And we moved into what would, uh, I think probably most positively be called a fixer upper. Um, and, and, and maybe more accurately, like a terror downer kind of home, like 
it was like literally some of the lights in the house were, were just wires hanging from the ceiling that had a socket attached to it with, with a light bulb in it. And I thought, I walked home, came into this for the very first time, what, like, what have you done? Like, why would you do this? And, and over the course of high school and, and years, we began the work of, of ripping out old carpets and many of the rooms gutting it down to the studs, installing a, a new kitchen, finishing the basement, replacing all the appliances and new furnace. And, and at one point in time on the lower level of the house, we manually stripped all of the old paint all off the woodwork with a little heat gun and, and, nat- and finished all the woodwork naturally. I, I am confident that to this day that there is damage from the fumes of doing that in my adolescent years. And eventually, over the course of time, if you knew my parents and, and you were watching all of this unfold, as you saw that house start to take shape, you would look at that and you would recognize like, their personality, their preferences, their choice unfolding. You would look at that house and you would begin to say, oh, Dave and Holly Moore live there. They live there. That's Paul's prayer for us. He's praying that our lives, that people would see our lives and that the awareness and conclusion they would come to is that, oh, Jesus lives there. He, he, he dwells there. It's reflecting of him. In chapter one, we see that Paul's prayer would, that we'd understand the degree of God's power towards us. And in chapter three, Paul gets more uh, explicit about what that power does, what it can accomplish in us. And there's a couple aspects of this that I, I, I want us to take note of today. First, notice that Paul describes this as a, a work of the Spirit. There in, at the very end of verse 16, to be strengthened with power in your inner being through His Spirit. And, and you may hear this and think, hang on a second. Right? Doesn't God in the person of the Spirit already dwell in us when, when we've placed our faith in Jesus for the forgiveness of sins, when we've trusted our lives to Him? Isn't that something that's already accomplished? And of course, the answer to that is, is yes, but what Paul's asking for, what he's praying will happen in our lives, is that, that the power of God would be at work to do the work that the Holy Spirit has been given to us to ultimately do. Does that make sense? That, that, that he would have power, there'd be power in us to shape us to be men and women in the image of Jesus. So if I were to borrow from that previous illustration about the house and, and the uh, image of, of residence there, like the Holy Spirit in a sense is kind of the general contractor. Like he's removing, he's taking out that part of our lives, that pre-faith in Jesus version of me, and he wants to take those things and he wants to replace it with the character of Christ. And Paul uh, uses that sort of imagery throughout his letters to the church. In fact, if you flip over just one page in chapter four of Ephesians, he, he talks about the same idea, but this time he talks about it as, as exchange of, of clothes. Look in verse 20. He says, but that, uh, but that is not how you came to know Christ, assuming you heard about him and were taught by him as the truth is in Jesus, to take off your former way of life, 
the old self that's corrupted by deceitful desires and to be renewed in the spirit of your minds and to put on the new self, the one created according to God's likeness and righteousness and purity of truth. And I, I point this out. I think this is a point of emphasis because I think that for us as, as those receiving this prayer, recognizing this as being prayed on our behalf, is that an awareness of the work of the Holy Spirit in our life at least invites us to participate, to align ourselves with that work. That, that, that we can create, if you will, sort of a conducive work environment. If I understand this is what the Holy Spirit, that Paul's praying the Holy Spirit would unfold in my life, that I can come into that to say, okay, Holy Spirit, like, what is it that still needs to be ripped out? What is a part of that, that pre-Jesus version of Sterling that still needs to get gutted and needs to be replaced with the character of Christ? I can, I can align myself with that work. The second thing here is that the work happens in our inner being. It happens in our inner being. This is, this is where the work takes place. This, is the, uh, this phrase is something that Paul uses to describe the part of us that is eternal, our soul. So Paul makes a distinction in his letters between our inner being and our outer person, that which is perishable, the outer person, and that which is eternal. In fact, if you flip over to, to 2 Corinthians, some of you all recognize this because I, I quote it frequently. 2 Corinthians chapter 4, verse 18 is one of my favorite verses in scripture. It's something of of a life verse for you. But look at how Paul describes this in verse 16 now. He says, therefore, we do not give up. Even though our outer person is being destroyed, our inner person is being renewed day by day. For our momentary light affliction is producing in us an absolutely incomparable internal weight of glory. So we do not focus on what is seen. But what is unseen? For what is seen is temporary, but what is unseen is eternal. I, I just the, the the terminology that Paul uses there sticks out to me because it's like at one level he says the outer person is being destroyed. And then in the same breath, he talks about it as momentary light affliction. Compared to the ultimate internal weight of glory, your inner being. Is, is the internal realm in which the Holy Spirit is doing his work. And yes, it has implications as that work unfolds for our outer being, of course. But the work of transforming us to be men and women who reflect the image of Jesus is happening in the part of us that controls our character, our motivation, our values, the part of you that is true and ultimate and eternal. So the work of the Holy Spirit is taking place in our inner being. And then thirdly, just notice the, the, the resources that are available to us here, the resources available to accomplish this work. I was watching one of those um, HGTV shows where somebody buys a house and, and then uh, the host couple will come in and redesign it and rehab it. And, and, and one occasion, the client that had bought the house um, was apparently like, uh, 
had more money than he knew what to do with kind of thing. Like he would, they would constantly ask him questions about budget. How much do you want us to spend? And he would say, whatever you need to. And they said, well, we're gonna, if we do this kitchen project, it's, it's upwards of $60,000. And he'd say, that's fine. But if, if, we, if we install this pool and we do all this landscape and we're talking about $100,000 of work, like his answer for every money question was, that's fine, that's fine. And I, while I did not find it relatable, right? <laughs> Paul makes a very similar point here about the work happening in our lives. Right, the reasonable question to ask in any kind of remodel, any kind of like work that needs to be done is what are the resources available to accomplish this work? And in verse 16, I pray that he may grant you according to the riches of his glory to be strengthened with power in your inner being through the spirit. In fact, just a few verses earlier in the same chapter when Paul's describing the message of new life in Christ, look at verse eight now. I'm still in 2 Corinthians. Verse eight. He says, this grace was given to me, the least of all the saints, to proclaim to the Gentiles the incalculable riches of Christ. That, that sort of verbiage, a description of, of the generosity, the abundance, the overflowing nature of what is available in Jesus. Paul reiterates time and time and time again. In fact, that's how he starts this entire gospel. Flip back over to, to Ephesians chapter 1. Look how he begins here. He said, Blessed is the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who's blessed us with every spiritual blessing in the heavens in Christ. For he chose us in him before the foundation of the world to be holy and blameless and in lo love before him. He predestined us to be adopted as sons through Christ Jesus for himself, according to, according to the good pleasure of his will, to the praise of his glorious grace that he lavished on us in the beloved one. Do you just hear this sort of like, this outpouring, this abundance? Paul's prayer is that the power of God, the same, the same power, the very same power that raised Jesus from the dead, the immeasurably great power towards us who believe would be at work in us. To quote Carson from that book I mentioned earlier, he said, when people take up long-term residence somewhere, their presence eventually characterizes that dwelling. This is Paul's prayer for us for the church, that his presence, the presence of Jesus would characterize our life, that, that people would see us and they would respond, Jesus lives there. But I think in order for that to happen, this second aspect of, of Paul's prayer for power in our lives is absolutely critical and essential. And so Paul prays that, that we would know the power to know the limitless love of Christ. The power to know the limitless love of, of Christ. Back in chapter 3 now, halfway through verse 17, he says this. He says, I pray that you, being rooted and firmly established in love, may be able to comprehend with all the saints what is the length and the width and the height and depth of God's love. And to know Christ's love that surpasses knowledge so that you may be filled with all the fullness of God. 
Paul goes into this, this description of the sheer volume of God's love for us. I was trying, I was trying to think of ways to capture kind of the idea of, of volume, and one of the first images that popped into my mind was this. Anybody recognize this? What is it? No, I tricked you. It's called Dead Horse Canyon because I've never been to the Grand Canyon. But this is in Utah. It's kind of like the mini Grand Canyon. And, and if you have ever seen the Grand Canyon or Dead Horse Canyon or something like that, the, the, the sheer volume of the cavity in the earth is just, it's overwhelming, right? It, it sort of takes your breath away. But the reality is this is not nearly enough. This is not nearly enough to describe it. So I just, I tried to think of something else. And I thought about just the endless amount of the ocean. And I Googled how many gallons are in the ocean. And I came up with this number and I have no idea if it's right and I don't know how to say it. But, <laughs> but it's a lot, right? It's just overwhelming volume. But again, this pales in comparison to what Paul's trying to say. So I thought about the, uh, the, the Milky Way galaxy. And the Milky Way galaxy is 52,850 light years in radius, which doesn't sound as impressive as the amount of gallons of water in, in the ocean until you realize that one light year is six trillion miles. And that contains all the oceans, and that contains the Dead Sea Canyon, and yet it, it pales in comparison to what Paul is trying to describe to us as God's love. In fact, this, this metaphor that he uses of volume here, the length and the width and the height and the depth, he sort of one-ups himself with the paradox that comes next when he's describing the capacity of God's love. He says, I want you to know Christ's love that surpasses knowledge. Right? He prays that you would that you would have the ability, the power to know that which is beyond comprehension. This may seem obvious, but I am woefully incapable of describing to you the love that God has for you. In fact, this is one of the burdens and the privileges of preaching is that I get, I get to try while knowing that, that my very best efforts to try to describe this to you are something like a, a, a toddler trying to describe Monet. You just, you lack the words to do it justice. Because here's my conviction, is that if I was capable, if I, I could adequately convey to you the volume of God's love for you, if, if I could somehow articulate to you the degree to which you are perfectly and uh, irrevocably loved, is that there would not be a single one of us that would be able to resist the pull of that love. There would not be a single one of us that would be able to refuse that love for us. I think sometimes we struggle with this because perhaps we we hear that and our natural reaction is just, I'm not, I'm not worthy of that. I, I'm not worthy of that kind of love. And I'm not. And from what I know of you, you're not either. We're not. Which is the beauty of it. It's not based on our ability to be worthy. 
but rather on the fact that he has declared us worthy of his love. Is that he loves us in spite of the fact. I love the way Timothy Keller, in, in oh, a sermon that he gave, he describes the heart of Jesus and the message of the gospel this way. He said, the gospel is this. We're more sinful and flawed in ourselves than we ever dared believe. And yet at the same time, we are more loved and accepted in Jesus Christ than we ever dared hope. Amen. The Apostle John, he words it this way. He says, for love consists in this. Not that we loved God, but that he loved us and sent his son to be an atoning sacrifice for our sins. This is, this is the good news of Jesus, and, and, and this is what applies to you. Maybe we struggle to understand it because our experiences of love on a human level have failed us. But our, our, our natural reaction when we read Ephesians chapter 3 is to think to ourselves, it's too good to be true. Which is exactly why Paul prays that the power of God would enable us to comprehend, together with all the saints, there's a, there's a corporate aspect to this, that we would experience this together, what is the length and the width and the height and the depth of God's love for us. It is more than our natural ability has to perceive and to take in. And so Paul knows, he knows that we need him to get this. And so he prays that the power of God, the immeasurably great power of God, the, the, the power that raised Jesus from the dead would be at work in us to understand just how loved we are. And notice the outcome here in verse 19. The second half of this. So that you may be filled with all the fullness of God. Here's Paul's prayer for the church. He wants us to know how loved we are so that we will live out of that love. We will live from God's love for us. That out of love, we will become all that God intends us to be. And this is what Paul is going before the heavenly father. He says, would you, would you do this in your church? Would you do this among those people in Ephesus? Among those people in Mill Creek? The Christian life, when we think about it, the, the pattern of following Jesus in obedience to him is a consistent and ongoing exchange of lesser loves for a greater love. Lesser loves, the, the love of self, the love of recognition, the love of approval, the love of another's love, all these lesser loves for a greater love, a love that is, that he prays that we would know and that is so great that it is beyond our capacity to fully know. When we rightly comprehend the degree of God's love for us, for me, when I, when I understand what was put on display in the person of Jesus, what was put on display in a, in a Roman torture device known as the cross, what was put on display when a group of disciples came down to check on the graveside where Jesus had been laid to find a tomb rolled away and someone there standing saying, he is not here, he has risen. That love, when I grasp that, 
There is nothing that I will not gladly exchange, that I will not willingly lay down, no lesser love that I will cling to for that. So that, that we may be filled with all the fullness of God. This is Paul's prayer for the church. Again, to quote Carson, he says, our speech our thoughts, our actions, our reactions, our relationships, our goals, our values, all are transformed if only we live in the self-conscious enjoyment of the love of Christ. Paul prays that God's power would be at work in us so that we would understand that. Would you pray with me? Jesus, we... Uh, we're, we're overwhelmed when we just consider for a moment the degree to which we are loved. And Lord, we recognize that there is so much in me that wants to, to push back at that or to doubt that or to struggle, but Paul prays that the power of God, the immeasurably great power of God, the, 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 the power that raised Jesus from the dead would be at work in us so that we might understand the volume of your love for us. And that in sight of that, in awareness of that, that we would live from that. That we would be like a, that small child praying for a baseball who opens his eyes and sees the love of God 10 feet in front of him. Lord, continue to reveal to us more of yourself that we would exchange lesser loves for your love for us. It's in your name we pray. Amen. As we conclude this morning, um, Paul's prayer was written to the church. It was written to followers of Jesus in Ephesus. Um, but if you're here this morning and you're still asking questions about who Jesus is or if, he's, if you can trust him with your life, I want you to know that what we shared today about those who are in Jesus, the love that he has from that love is, is the same love that is available to you. That's true of you, that he loves you that much. And if you ever have questions about what a relationship with Jesus means or how do you begin a relationship with Jesus, just please know I love to, to um, have those conversations, I invite you to come talk to me or one of our prayer team at any point. Um, and I invite you to, to participate with us in Alpha. Those are some of the exact questions that we're going to try to table there and to hear from each other and, and trust the Holy Spirit to guide us in that conversation. So um, if you didn't grab one of these on your way in, I encourage you, I've, I've scattered them about the lobby, grab two or three of these um, for yourself or, or for a friend or neighbor to invite to be a part of that with you. Um, as always, our prayer team is available. Love to pray with you this morning. Our generosity boxes are by each of our side doors. Again, um, all your support and, and the way you share in and give towards the work of ministry here, uh, it matters and we're so grateful for it. And now receive um, this morning's benediction. Go in the name of Jesus Christ, the one who is able to do immeasurably more than all we can ask or imagine for your glory here. It's in your name we pray. Amen.